For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Hello and welcome to ACG Wealth Management's Beer Markets. I'm Bobby Moyer and I'm joined with ACG's president, Sandy Wiggins. Glad to be here, Bobby. Well, Sandy, as we always do, we'll we'll start off and, and crack open a beer and, and really then take a chance to get into uh, into the markets. So today uh, I'm drinking a three-notched brewing company, Minuteman IPA. Uh, three-notched is a brewery that was founded up in the Charlottesville area, but now has locations in Richmond, Virginia Beach, Harrisonburg, and Roanoke. Uh, the Minuteman that I'm having today is, you know, they call it a juicy crystal clear IPA. It's got some different hops in it, Strata, Mosaic maybe, Sandy, I don't know, uh, Idaho 7 hops, uh, but uh, pretty good, maybe summary type of an IPA uh, for us to talk a little bit about the markets. How about you, Sandy? Well, I'm going to have to up my game next time about the uh, the degree of analysis we're doing on the, the production process of, of the beer we're drinking, but I'm going to uh, partake in a Copper Tail Free Dive IPA. It's a, a great uh, location down in Tampa, Florida, near the Ebor neighborhood. Um, so Yeah, I've I'm had having. that before too, Sandy. That's, that's a good one. Yep, yep. It's worth a trip to Tampa. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and you know, we're, we're talking about the beer markets. That's the name of our podcast, but it will... We'll have a little fun today talking about how dull the market has been. So maybe we'll change this uh, podcast to the dull market. Uh, yeah, Sandy, I think that's a good one. Uh, I think you hit the nail right in the head. And it's really been a dull market since the end of the first quarter. And, you know, you look back at the S&P 500 was trading at the end of the quarter at 4109. We look where we sit today on the 16th of May and it's trading at 41.24, a mere 36 basis points move over the last six weeks. Uh, the VIX has basically traded below 18, and the VIX is, you know, kind of a volatility indicator uh, that, that could spike, you know, up into the 30s or, or much higher during times of volatility, but it's been very calm out there recently. A uh, couple stats, Sandy, on, on this. Lizanne Saunders put out a tweet, uh, you know, maybe it was yesterday on Monday, you know, her comment is last week was the sixth week in a row, the S&P registering a sub 1% move in either direction. This is an unusually long streak. Last year, there was only one occasion when you had two consecutive weeks um, of such quiet trading. And that happened to be the last two weeks of the year, which tends to be quiet. So now we're at six weeks of this kind of streak. Last year, we only saw once of a two-week streak. Uh, so a little bit of of you know calmness dullness as you said uh in this uh, to call our podcast i think that's good and then carter braxtonworth he's on tv a bunch uh, a very very good technical analyst he had another tweet that said an unusually tight six-week trading range uh the tightest in the past five years and expectations are this is soon to be resolved you know the question is is it going to be resolved to a breakout to the upside or you know breakout to the downside any thoughts on that sandy yeah we, we we've got a lot on the table um that that's still working its way through the through the economy and and certainly the market has been fairly resilient think about the the bank crisis we've talked about that that's still making its way through uh through through the economy we've got the debt ceiling discussion We've got the Fed in their most recent rate increase and lots of debates about where is it going to be 
you know, at the next meeting, or is it going to be later on this year? Are we going to be in a recession? There's so many questions that have to be answered. I think that the market is really just kind of a bit paralyzed in its action. And maybe we'll see a little bit of a break from this once we get clarity around the debt ceiling, which hopefully, you know, over the next week, we'll, we'll get some good news there. I know we'll talk more about that as we uh, discuss things today. Yeah, Sandy, optimistic. The next week, uh, we're not going to run out of money until June 1st, and I don't think Congress uh, knows how to act unless there's a crisis. But we'll, we'll but, see, you know, hopefully. They've, they've got to they've put the bill together and get it, get it, get it through. So yeah, yeah, you're in order right. to hit that Jan, uh, June 1st date. So yeah, we'll see. I am optimistic. You hopefully are. We're going we're gonna to see some action in the next uh, seven, seven days. And, you know, President Biden is supposed to go to Japan for a, a G7 meeting. I think there's might be a meeting up there today too uh, with the Republicans. Uh, yep, yep. You know, again, I think it's too early. We'll we'll touch on it. You know, we talk about dull markets and and kind of joking, but you know, it's been serious. And the S and P's up eight percent though year to date. Um, however, the the S and P small cap is down two and a quarter percent. Another you know way to look at the market is the S and P 500 equal weight, and that's you know relatively flat for the year. So the S and P 500 market cap weighted, so the biggest companies have the biggest weight, Apple being the biggest holder, uh, where the equal weight is every 500 company, you know, the same amount weighting, and that's only up 0.67, whereas the NASDAQ is up 17.8%, and QQQ, which is the largest 100 NASDAQ holdings, is up 22%, um, all as of last Friday, uh, May 12th. Uh, So, you know, I don't want to say it's all driven by larger companies, but a lot lot of the bigger companies in the S&P have done exceptionally well. And you look at some of the top NASDAQ performers, we talked about this in our our recent Investor Insights, Facebook Meta is up 94%, NVIDIA is up 94%. You got um, some other lesser known names, Seijin, I believe maybe is how you pronounce it, a biotech company up uh, 55%. Uh, Sandy, what, how do you pronounce this next one? <laughs> Mercado Libra? Yep, yep. Uh, uh, Latin, Latin America e-commerce company. Yep, up 52%. Uh, AMD up 47%. A semiconductor name, you know, similar to that NVIDIA. Palo Alto Network, cybersecurity up 43%. Align Technology, the, uh, the teeth aligners, 39%. And then some of the well-known companies, Tesla, 36%. Apple, Google, 33%. Amazon 32% and Microsoft 29%. And Google is probably the most interesting one on here recently. We talk about a dull market again. Google last week alone uh, was it May 5th to May 12th, that, around that week. Google was up 11% when the S&P 500 was actually down 24 basis points. Uh, so, you know, Google has bounced back after, you know, being you know, sold off a little bit earlier in this year with all this artificial intelligence AI talk. And um, you, you had, you know, was it Microsoft was going to take all this market share away from Google. And then Google has an investor day last week. And uh, the stock rallied hard on, again, AI driven. NVIDIA is almost all AI driven. And they're just so far ahead of everybody from a semiconductor place. Yeah, and let's talk about earnings. You know, yeah. returns have been been great for a segment of the market. But earnings are are really shaping up to 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 be better than expected. So give us some of those datas. Yeah, you know, I think you know earnings. I I was surprised. I am extremely surprised about what we saw from an earnings standpoint and where we are now for Q1 earnings. You've got about 
92% of the S&P that has actually reported. So it's a pretty good sample size, not not the entire S&P, but we're at a good spot to, you know, feel like where we are. 78% have reported positive EPS. 75% have reported uh, positive revenue. So EPS, earnings per share, um, and then 75% on the revenue side. But I think, Sandy, where the interesting thing is, and we talked about this too earlier, is um, as of March 31st, the start of the second quarter, the estimated earnings decline for Q1 was expected to see earnings fall by 6.7%. But where we're coming in now, it's only you know looking like negative two and a half percent, and that's I think that's significant. On one hand, it's two negative quarters in a row of of negative earnings. That's not good. But a lot of times it's expectations, and if you, if you beat expectations, and that's what earnings were, we were expected to see probably, you know, a little bit worse from an earnings standpoint than what we have seen. Uh, but I think this has really been a, a pretty good uh, earnings earnings season. Um, so I'm I'm surprised uh, we may may get another negative earnings um, quarter next year, but you know next next, next quarter. But uh, this looks this looks promising and and very surprising. Yeah, and again, that might be exactly why we're in a dull market. You know, the market expected uh, a downturn in earnings. They came in a little bit better than expected, so it's a bit of a wait and see right now. As you said, next quarter, you know, we're already counting the days until the next earnings period starts, but that'll give us more clarity and certainly uh, some some factors between now and then will influence the market. Yeah, and, you know, April was supposed to be a seasonality of a, a very strong month, and we didn't see that, and we're, we're seeing this quietness even with the strong earnings. And, you know, FactSet's where we get a lot of the earnings data. They came out, though, and said year-over-year revenue growth at 4% for Q1 2023, lowest revenue growth since Q4 of 2022. I find that a little bit interesting from a revenue standpoint. If inflation is higher and, you know, costs are, you know, are being passed on, obviously, because we're paying more for these goods, to see revenue growth only up 4%, um, you know, I don't know what's, what's causing that, but I, I find that a little bit interesting with inflation where it is. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't line up, does it? No, you, you, would, you would think, I'm sure, you know, costs are up too, but we're talking top-line revenue here, only seeing a 4% revenue growth. So maybe the earnings are being driven by cost-cutting, and I think that's a big part of it, that companies are able to, you know, cut costs. Um, in I think light that's of a good this. segue into the uh, PPI. Yeah, so PPI has come down, you know, PPI meaning producer price index, has um, come down significantly. You know, I think that peaked around where we are. Don't quote me on this with CPI last June, but I think PPI got up in double digits, maybe around 11. And you know, we're now down under three. We've got a two-handle, 2.3, 2.4% on PPI. And we saw on the way up, PPI was higher than CPI, as you'd expect. The, the, what it costs to go into the finished good is going to cost more, right? The producer price index, and then you're going to sell it for more. And and then CPI was trailing that. And now we're seeing you know PPI be below CPI. So hopefully that that is the path ahead for CPI. And we saw CPI come in under five, granted 4.9, but still coming down. And and that's got to be. I think a positive, um, and, I, and I say I think a positive because does that give the fret, the Fed is seeing it come down, but are they going to continue to hike rates? You know, with where we are right now, and we saw a very strong, another pretty strong employment reading. What a week a week ago, I guess it is now, a week and a half ago. Uh, so if the the labor market's holding up, although some negative revisions that you got to keep an eye on, but uh, you know, pretty good employment picture still. 
and inflation still well above, but we're coming down. So yeah, with, with the PPI coming down, obviously that that's a positive. You've got a tight labor market. That's a negative necessarily related to the inflation fight. And again, back to where the market is, you know, it's it's trying to figure out am I, is is or is the news good? Is the news bad? And and that's influencing why it's really not doing much right now. Yeah, and I guess this is as good a time as any. We'll touch on the Fed. You know, Sandy, I'm a little tired of talking about the Fed and, and controlling all our conversations, but maybe we'll touch on it, you know, for a second. Right now, we look at Fed expectations. It's looking like a pause right now in the June meeting. I think that's the positive. I said I would have paused, you know, sooner, you know, but I didn't. I don't have that choice. But the Fed right now, I think there's only a 17, 18% chance that you see a, a pause or an increase in the next uh, meeting. So I think that's good for the markets. Markets will like that. And, and But then you're still looking out at year end and you're seeing the expectations are still very strong for lower rates than where we are today. And there's only, you know, looking at the Fed watch tool, a 2% chance that rates are where they are today in, at the December meeting. But there's a 38% chance they're 50 basis points lower and a 35% chance they're 75 basis points lower. So, so is that good news or bad news? I don't know, Sandy. You know, I think it's good for, you know, technology companies and companies with a lot of debt and, and maybe for mortgages and, you know, to see rates come down would be a positive for the economy. And I think that's why you normally think, oh, Fed's going to cut. This is great. But the question I always come back with and, you know, we sound like a broken record sometimes. Why is the Fed cutting rates? You know, and that's the question. The only thing I could come up with is if inflation does truly fall to 2% or which is their target, well, then I think clearly a 5% rate would be too high and the Fed would know that and they got to get back to some neutral rate without having to cut because of a negativity. The fear is if inflation doesn't get back to two or, or at least a two handle, right, sub three, and now the Fed is cutting in that environment, they're, why are they cutting? In that environment, I feel like they're cutting because the economy needs them to cut and they're looking to bolster the economy. And that's in more concerning inflation that's higher than they want that's that's not a good place to be yeah that that's that's the fear and and almost stagflation right and stagflation being you know low economic growth uh flat economic growth and high and higher than target inflation somewhere in there so you know that's the environment we don't look forward to and i'm not sure the market reacts well there if the fed is cutting because the economy is not doing well but if inflation falls more than expected then, or maybe not more than expected, but down in two percent range, and now they could cut because rates are restrict too restrictive. Well, maybe that is a good thing. That'd be that'd be a wonderful environment to to invest in. Yeah, that would be. Um, again, I've said I've been humbled in this market many times. I will be surprised if that's what we see, but I hope it is. You know, that would be great. Paul Tudor Jones, a great investor, has been very bearish. He came out and said he thinks the market will be higher between now and year end. So now you even saw. You know, I don't want to say him call him a bear, but a little negative earlier thinks there's there's some room to run yet in this in this market this year, uh, which is good to see. You know, some people come out other than Tom Lee and talk about uh, being bullish. Well, yeah, and, and and we've talked about a lot already. Let's let's touch on the uh, the consumer, and and defaults and and credit card usage. That's that's always a good indicator, and and in particular the, the younger folks. Um, are beginning to have some challenges as it relates to the use of credit cards and defaulting on debt. Yeah, there were some readings that came out, Sandy, I think you're right, that you know talked a little bit about uh, the delinquency rates on credit cards for those ages 18 to 29 was 8.3% in the first quarter, 
which was compared to 5.1% a year ago, um, still a little bit below pre-pandemic, but I don't, I personally don't like that big jump of seeing delinquencies, you know, younger consumers having to pile on debt, you know, as inflation is hitting them a little bit harder. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm concerned a little bit about that. I, I see total consumer debt hit fresh highs in the first quarter of 23, um, just over 23, of uh, 17 trillion. New mortgage origination, including a refinance, totaled 323 billion, lowest level since the second quarter of 2014. So you're seeing, you know, one higher consumer debt, um, but you know maybe lower mortgage origination, um, and that concerns me about credit card debt. And you know, housing debt is one thing. I'm not going to call it good debt. I'm not sure there's any good debt, but we, you could almost live with that. It's an investment typically goes up, uh, but credit card debt's typically not a good debt. You got to pay that off high, high, high interest rates. Uh, you know, so if we see delinquencies not good, you see, um, you know, this debt hurting people a little bit, and and then you see a little bit of a crack in the jobs picture that wages, you know, aren't going up as fast, and you can't get a job as as quick as maybe you want to. You know, not not a good picture forward for the consumer potentially, which makes up you know over seventy percent of GDP. Yeah, and there was a huge drop in the May University of Michigan consumer consumer sentiment uh, index. It was it came in at fifty seven point seven versus the sixty three, which was the estimate. And and you're right, you know, consumer debt's going up, uh, sentiments not not strong. Those are things we want to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, and I think that's that's the concern. We've been talking about a recession for how long now? You know, it's been well over a year. CEOs, um, you know, investors have been concerned about a recession. The market sold off last year, peaked to trough the S&P. I'm talking, you know, what, 27%, somewhere in there. And, you know, we never got the recession. So did the market already price in the recession? Are we pricing in things quicker now because of the way things move? You know, but we got to keep an eye on the consumer, make sure the consumer is going to be strong. And, you know, the, the old adage, sell and may go away. I'm not, you know, making a recommendation there. I'm not I'm not even sure that's the right, but you dull market, it's going to go one way or the other, right? And I, I'm not sure, never, never short a dull market, but I'm not sure I want to, you know, be heavy one totally way or the impressive. other. Yeah, at this point, you know, but you've got to be in the market because, you know, the consumer has been strong and the employment picture just continues to, to surprise people on how strong that part of the market and the economy has been. Yeah, like you said, we've been talking about recession. Uh, we Everybody's been talking about the potential for a recession for a year or more, and eventually we'll have a recession. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's what's going on with the market is that it's forecasting it's not going to be as bad, perhaps, as what we thought at the end of Q Q3 of last year, um, the market certainly rebounded nicely since the lows of October. The market's a leading indicator, so you know as you said, so it's going to go up or down here short term. Yeah, it's it's funny you said leading indicator, right? Um, another not to be bearish, but you know the, the the study on economic leading indicators, you know, came out and and below one, you know, in the negative territory, which typically a recession follows again. And, and what makes up leading economic indicators? GDP employment picture, industrial production, consumer spending, inflation, home sales, um, you know, consumer spending. Uh, so all these things are, are beginning to flash negatives uh, on the economy a little bit. But again, we've seen, we've seen this picture before. We've seen negativity last year. 
So I'm not jumping on that we're definitely going to have a recession, although it looks more and more likely. It's just things we got to continue to keep an eye on as we see what's going on with the economy. And, you know, one area I guess we could touch on is is home prices and, and the, the the construction, home construction. I mentioned, you know, home origination. That's an interesting part of the, the market right now. I think, you know, there's such an imbalance of, you know, younger younger folks looking to buy houses but you don't have the inventory out there. And this is the spring selling season and you just don't have the inventory you typically have, which is forcing, you know, builders to have to build, which is a good thing, but you know, costs are up. We said lumber's we haven't said it yet, lumber's down. Lumber deflation. Uh, deflation yeah. there. Um, you know, Home Depot announced earnings uh yesterday, you know, so very timely. And, you know, for them it was a very disappointing earnings earnings season, you know, and Part of that is what they're calling is demand destruction. You know, the company had a huge, huge reve- revenue miss. Uh, their worst, their biggest revenue miss since November of 2002, Sandy. That's, that's a long time of, you know, a great company doing such a good job. Um, it follows 12 straight revenue beats, biggest revenue drop since the financial crisis. Comps came are down 4.5 versus 1.6 consensus. Um, and, you know, the CEO was on and he observed more broad-based pressure across the business compared to when we reported fourth quarter results a few months ago. Um, so not a great reading there. And forward, um, guidance, forward, forward guidance has been you know, pulled back a bit. Yeah, full year revenue down 2 to 5% um, versus uh, down 0.7 consensus estimate, and EPS down 7% to 13% versus down 5.7 consensus. So a negative view there. And, and Home Depot is an interesting one because you would think, okay, well, makes sense. P- P- Home Depot should do well. Uh, you know, there's, we're not bu- building new houses. Let's build up our new house, right? We're not going to refi. I have a, a, a 3% mortgage. I'm not going to sell my house and get a higher mortgage. Let's go fix up my house and go to Home Depot. So that, that's a little bit um, con- concerning to me, I think, that Home Depot is such a well-run company, big part of the economy, uh, have done well for so long, starting to see a little bit of crack in the consumer. Yeah, if we look back at what happened during the pandemic, obviously everybody started working on their houses and fixing things because we couldn't do anything else. Now we're we're we've seen the movement back towards, you know, recreation, entertainment, hospitality, uh, those segments of the economy. So it's interesting to see how not only the economic cycle is is shifting, but the impact and the ripple effect of the pandemic is still part of I think what's uh, what's influencing the market. Yeah, I, I think that's you're right. I think, you know, services has been a big part of the inflation problem, right, that we just couldn't get away from, you know, people wanting, you know, what is it, revenge spend or, you know, going out and flying in concerts. And it's been a big time for all that. And, you know, people that were redoing their houses that maybe already did that. Maybe that's why Home Depot struggling now. And it's not so much the consumer. They just front loaded it when they couldn't go out that they put their money there, built their home offices and, uh, you know, allowed themselves to work from home. On another point, Black uh, BlackRock was out today. They're, they're forcing their people back to the offices four days a week now. So, you know, more people are getting out of the house. That could be good for the economy, too, you know, to eat out of places, restaurants. So we'll see. It's, it's a dynamic place right now going on in the economy and, and the slowdown and the Fed. There, there's just a ton, a ton of interesting things going on. And, and the markets have just been dull. Well, you know, I, I really think it's it's quite amazing how stable things have been. Certainly last year was a tough year for bonds and stocks. Um, but we keep talking about this recession that might come. 
we if we look back and kind of step back a little bit, we we were we we went through a pandemic. We've had the Fed increase interest rates significantly. We've had the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, I mean, we could go on and on about all the things that have impacted our lives over the last four or five years, and yet the market is still solid and and you know not not too far off all time highs. So I think that really says a lot for our economy and where we are in the cycle. And I think if we can, you know, navigate the next 12 months uh, with economic policy, I mean, economic impact on, on the Federal Reserve's policy, that hopefully will be smooth sailing a bit more, uh, you know, in 2024 than we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with, with you. And you got to go through these times. You can't have it be all all good times. And the fact that we sold off as much as we did last year, both stocks and bonds, and bonds are, are doing well this year. And maybe that's another reason, right? You're getting paid five and a quarter percent to park your money risk-free for a month or, or two months or three months. So, you know, that there's that Tina, right? There's an alternative to equities. And that's, you know, you have that ability to um, have um, somewhere else to park your money. And if you're concerned and you're scared, maybe three years ago, you didn't want to park it in, in treasuries and earn nothing. Now, 5% seems like a gold mine to just sit there, be on the sideline, feel better, and you don't have to force your money back back in there. But I think a lot of institutional investors are sitting in, in cash still. And, and when that money comes off the sideline, you know, what, what does it mean to the regular investor? You know, don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure you want to sell and be out of the market in this environment. You know, because when it comes, it's going to come quick. And typically it comes before the economy bottoms. So while all these things we said, there's some negatives that could happen. We could have a debt ceiling debacle. Who knows what's going to happen, right? But you don't want to make investment decisions based on that, right? Because if you miss it, that first week, that first two weeks or three weeks that you're out of the market because you're scared and before things feel good, you're going to miss, you can miss 15% in, in three weeks, 20% in three weeks, and you never get that back. So, you know, for our listeners who are, you know, in, enjoy hearing and getting educated on some of these things, um, but what do, you, what do you do? You know, just stay the course. Make sure you have the plan out there. Be invested, be diversified. If you're older and you're, and you're counting on this for cash flow, you could still be invested, but make sure you're positioned in the right type of allocation. And don't don't be stretching, don't be panicky. Make sure you have a, a good plan in place, and you don't have to be trading in and out of, of this and the concerns that are out there. And if you're young and you get volatility, probably a good thing, right? Dollar cost averaging in when things are on sale. Uh, so you know, I, I think you just got to stay the course, and, and more importantly, make sure you have a plan. And the advisor you're working with, you know, knows what your plan is, and I think you're set from there. Yeah, you know, there's a saying, it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. And I, I think that really holds true, particularly with with where we are today. And I don't have the statistics in front of me, but we've talked about it in the past. You know, looking back over the last 10 or 15 years, if you missed the four or five single best days, your return was cut in half. And that's pretty unbelievable. So your point about missing things, the first part of a, of a leg up, is so critical to long-term capital accumulation. 
and, and as much as you want to pretend that you can tell yourself, I'll know when it's a good time to get back in, you'll know because you'll feel a lot better, but the market will have already reacted. Yeah, you'll, you'll know because it's already happened. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's you'll be kicking yourself for decades um, from there. So, because you can't re ever make up those dollars lost. Nope, exactly. It's, it's, if you try to time the market, you're two decisions, one to get out, one to get back in. And, and that's very difficult. Getting out, you could probably shave some off the bottom, but, but getting back in is almost never done um, effectively. Excellent. Well, this, this has been a, a great, uh, great conversation. And again, you know, we'll, we uh, will probably be talking about a lot of the same topics uh, next next time we visit, but there'll be new developments for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sandy, I enjoyed the, the dialogue and, you know, thank you for your time. Likewise. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beer Markets. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.